0: looks at me and she's just like, I've never been in the woods before. It is so beautiful. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. was> like, <laughs> it's funny, like I should like. I was like, that's why I'm doing this. You are listening to Urban Wildlife! Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Urban Wildlife Podcast. It's been a little while. Um, I got Billy Brown here. I'm one of your co-hosts with
1: Tony Crow's now.
0: Um, And as always, we are part of the Wildlife Observer Network. Please check out all of our wonderful podcasts. And uh, it has been so long that I think we forgot the usual introductory stuff that we do. If you want to, re- oh, I got it. If you want to reach out to us, um, you can tweet at us at Herb Cast. Um you can email us at urbanwildlifecast at gmail.com. Let us know any ideas you might have for uh for for podcast episodes. Um but yeah, we are we've been on a odd hiatus, especially given that we were working together over the summer. Um Yeah. <laughs> uh we uh it, we had a funny situation funny situation, I guess, where um given how long we've known each other, where I was uh I have been in sort of a career transition mode and was looking at the summer and noticed that there was a, a listing for um, for seasonal environmental educators, basically, at uh, the, the environmental centers in Philadelphia. Um, and I texted Tony and was like, wait, can this happen at Cobb's Creek? And Tony just texted back, best summer ever with an exclamation <laughs> point. Um, and it turns out he was right. It was the best summer ever. <laughs> it was a blast of... Yeah. Uh, so actually, Tony, you're the, you run this place. Um, maybe tell people like what happens at at an environmental center like this here in in, in the in the Cobb's Creek Creek corridor uh, at the western edge of Philadelphia.
1: Yeah. So you know to avoid like you know any questions about like nepotism and whatnot. Um, honestly, uh, we had an extra position this year than normal, uh, and um, so and unfortunately, a lot of it, um, times people end up flaking on you, which actually the third person end up doing just that because um, this is a seasonal job and, you know, people um, get other opportunities, but because of the, the, you know, the difficulties inherent in in, in onboarding with a, you know, big governmental bureaucracy, um, if you lose somebody, you basically by the time you, you start the process over getting the next person on board, you've, you've missed almost a whole summer. Right. So, um, having someone who, you know, is extremely reliable is, um, you know, that is, um, who could do the job and is extremely reliable. It's like, you kind of like a no brainer to to bring them on because you know that you're, you're going to be able to, um, have someone who will, you know, be dependable. Won't, you know, um, Leave <laughs> and watch uh, actually um, we'll show fast. up for work on time and things like that, and knows the material. I mean, it's it's you know, um, yeah. I mean, that's a huge thing for seasonal help. Um, so the joke was, you know, we had the most overqualified seasonal educator. <laughs> 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 but you know, there are, I'm sure a lot of people have actually done this in retirement too, the other way where they yeah. So you know, um, so what we do for the summer, um, uh, we host. Um, we did not. We, generally we host our own summer camp for one or two weeks and then we host summer camps visiting us from um, other facilities, mostly uh, recreation facilities uh, in our own department, but uh, other. Um,
0: and just so people who might not be from a city like this might not know. So a recreation facilities, like a rec center is like a building usually with a playground or a park next to it um, in neighborhoods in Philadelphia uh, where for the summer kids will go and they'll have a, a camp where they play basketball, they do various other kinds of camp like activities, but in a very urban setting. And so,
1: yeah, and yeah. we have the largest um, um, rec center system in the United States. Um, you know, we're the fifth, well, I guess technically now sixth biggest city. Um, but, you know, a lot of Phoenix sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a lot of the other, two, at least two of the other cities that uh, are bigger than us theoretically are uh, more like sprawl than, than you know. But if you want like a, you know, they can kind of count their suburbs, a significant part of the suburbs as a city because the city limits wasn't drawn in the eighteen hundreds. They like grew us. by
0: annexation more than Philadelphia did. Yeah. yeah
1: so, um, but you know, in terms of like big, dense, skyscraper cities, cities um, like Philadelphia, you know, even even cities bigger than us um, like. Los Angeles, uh, Chicago, and New York City have sm- smaller amounts of rec centers and pools for that matter and ours yeah. are free.
0: Yeah.
1: So, um, you may have to like pay a fee to like be on the like basketball league or something, you know. Yeah. But generally, you can just go and like use the facilities for free. Uh, use the pool for free. So, uh, and they have summer camps which are not free but they're a, a much smaller cost than any other equivalent. I mean, it's more, it's more or less child care for the summer, you right. know, um, and they, um, uh, and they go on field trips to various locations. Um, and we host them for about six weeks, uh, as well as, you know, other groups that might want to come. And then we still have our like, you know, evening and weekend, like one off programs. And we generally just host visitors. We also, uh, uh, you know, people can just walk in, look at the fish tank, you know, turtles and, and our, um, exhibits, uh, which Billy had a big hand in and upgrading and changing this year. And, um, you know, we have a library, things like that. You can come in. You know, you binoculars, look at our feeders. You know, look at our grounds um, that are you know have like a lot of uh, specimen plants and whatnot. A, a, a food forest and a native plant um, pollinator garden. So there's there's a lot of amenities people just walk in to um, as well. So kind of like three things, right? Is three main kind of th- is is cats of audiences that are like really like bust to us. Um, like uh, programs for like. Um, that people come on their own, you know, like families or, or, you know, we do adult programming as well. And then, and they're usually one off, not like, uh, you know, recurring events you know, bat night here, bird walk here, campfire, things like that. And then we have, um, drop-in visitors. Another component, I guess the fourth thing is, um, other entities using the building, such as the Girl Scouts, the Boy Scouts, the nonprofit that we have a relationship with. So there was a, a Boy Scout camp for one or two weeks this summer, as well as a uh, a workforce development program that had about twenty some students in the building all summer. True. Yeah. Uh, then another entity um, was overseeing, uh, and and that's so that's you know That's generally what we do. Um,
0: it is, and it was. Uh, I I'm in my head trying to remember to keep this on the wildlife track, um, but I I think as a step back with nature and more generally, I um, I admit that I had thought more just because it's what I had experienced. I sort of saw our environmental centers as places where you drop in or where you come to some particular one-off kind of program um, where you come in and you go to the moth night that they're holding or like the, the like you are saying, the bat walk or... Um, maple sugar festival or something like that and i hadn't appreciated something that now for me has come to the fore a lot which is like the resource for all those rec center camps um because you've for all the other things like you're relying on people who are already gonna are sort of selecting to be self-selecting to be interested in nature right and like so you know my family is going to go to every environmental center we pass of course right um, every nature center we pass. Uh, but like what happens with the rec centers is you just get kids from the neighborhoods who you know who, who so many of them have never been in the woods before. I mean I've
1: literally, no exaggeration had a girl on a walk once ask ask me is this the woods? I've never been in the woods before.
0: I had a girl and this is where I almost cried. I was like this like a you know, bunch of 9 year olds, 10 year olds Eight-year-olds or so, and one of them looks at me, and she's just like, "I've never been in the woods before. It is so beautiful." <laughs> yeah, like, it's funny. Like I should like. I was like, "That's why I'm doing this."
1: <laughs> yeah, I almost wish we I would like take down these quotes because, like you know, when you do this job, like every few months, you know, and, and especially in the summer when you have the direction of kids, you get a fair amount of those comments. Yeah. Um, that just blow your mind and you're like, oh, this is really important, you know? And this is also one of the reasons, like, I personally rail, I really um, am very against um, going to places. Like, um, now, I understand that, like, a lot of environmental centers, um, they, there's a, a revenue issue and and they use um, off-site Visits to generate, right? I mean, they get 100 a pop at least, probably, every time they go to a school or something. And that, and you know, or every class, probably, and that where month.
0: they take like a program in a box to a school, right? And then, yeah, and break and out uh, the animal pelts and talk a little bit about the park.
1: Yeah. Anyway. So, with us and with having such a s- small staff, like generally the non municipal environmental centers that surround us that are generally private or whatnot, um, they, um, they have generally much larger staffs and they do a lot more outreach than us. So, but it kind of sets this idea but like, Oh, that's what our mouth centers do. But you're like, well, there's only two full-time educators. So if yeah. we're not here, no one's here. So, and so I, I make it a big point to, cause I, what I don't want to happen is eventually that like, um, you know, I don't know how much I have to wear, but slippery slope, but I don't, I'm worried that like, if that, if we start doing that more, it'll be an expectation and it's an easy way to get numbers and then the next thing you know like your schedule is is like full of these off sites yeah. and then and you don't get and it's easy a teacher it's great like they don't have to do any work you just show up and like teach your class for them right and and there's no there's no slips there's no bus rattle, there's nothing you know but to me I'm like I'm not a classroom teacher I have no interest in being a classroom teacher my skills don't really you know so um I am I'm a biologist I can talk to people so we do our best work in the field, so that's why, and and it just shows how valuable it is because you don't get that experience of kids being like, I'm I'm in the woods or like seeing a deer, or, you know. Yeah,
0: like, and I I think it's, you know, it's something we talked about a lot over the summer is 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 sort of s- centering the role of the of this environmental center as like a, a a hub or gateway for the broader park. Yeah, um, and that the the really the classroom is out there, you know, um, and what we want people to learn is out there. And so like the, yeah, we might start a uh, start a program inside, but then you want to get outside and get kids, you know, rolling logs to find the bugs under yeah. there. And you can talk about forest ecology quite a bit then. You can talk about what invertebrates do, you know, what various invertebrates do. You can talk about fungi and how they break down rotting, or break down dead wood and things like, you can do all that, um, but it's just so much better to do it where they're having a visceral connection to all of it. Um, And even, and and I, I'd say even it's, you know, if you have like 20, you know, kids walking through the woods, you're not going to see many live animals um, because they're all getting the heck out of there unless you're you're finding small stuff under cover or maybe birds that are flying past um, or high enough up not to care, I guess. But the, um, but we had a program on like just animal tracks. That was a huge hit. Yeah. Um, and you get kids out there, like checking all the, the edges of mud puddles for, for a different kind of prints. And then we can sort of really have a discussion of like the different animal trails that we have around us in the
1: woods. And, and all our programs yeah. are wildlife focused. Like that's, that's the thing is like, um, we're not like recycle, like sustainability. <laughs> like like
0: I said, we had the geology yeah. program. Don't forget that. Yeah. But yeah. like,
1: you, you know, I, it's not wildlife per se, but like, the underlying geology determines the plant community, which then determines animal. Sure. sure, sure. So like to me, that's, you know, something to not be ignored and an important part of of ecology, you know, the abiotic part of it. Um, but when it comes to like the visiting, um, groups, you know, there's always, uh, we, so our, our park is not, um, it's funny to say it's not particularly large. I mean, it's 800 acres. It's large, but, um, compared to other parks in Philly because Philly has this immense park system that you've heard us talk about many times. Our biggest point of pride, I would say as a Philadelphian, is, is this, uh, you know, that the diversity of the city, I would say number one, but then the, the the fact that we have
0: lots of points of pride, but one of them is the park system. Yeah. Is this, you know,
1: which a lot of people don't realize that a city like Philadelphia has. Um, And right through the city, like, it's not like you, you know, like a lot of, you know, cities where um, they have like a, an area that's on the outskirts that's large, like Rocky mountain arsenal in Denver or like forest sure, yeah. park in Portland or something. You know what I mean? Like I think the Trinity river thing in Dallas, or right? not necessarily like right in the heart of the city where like dense urban housing goes right up to it. Right. You know, right. and you can literally just walk from a, from a row house from about as dense as urban uh, other than like apartment blocks. And even in Philadelphia, there are actually plenty of places with apartment blocks across from, you know, um, a park like, oh, in,
0: yeah. Right. Walnut
1: Street. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, anyway, so, um, we um, our programs are wildlife focused. Uh, so this park you're saying is saying it's not that especially the part of park we're in is kind of narrow and it isn't that a big trail system. Um, so uh, at the other two environmental centers, the programs tend to be kind of like guided walks and they end up taking kids on a mile or two walk generally, uh, through a different habitat or down to a you know the stream or something. Um, our part the part of park is quite narrow where we are and uh, we don't have a like a, a trail system and and you know you can actually in the park park, you actually usually see the houses um from the one trail, so it's not like as immersive experience as we would like them we could take them if we had more time, we could take them to the park, but the point is is rather than taking a long walk, we do these like activity rotations, yeah which tend to be all outside sometimes um when we don't have another uh, group inside and we don't have a covid um restrictions, we will do an indoor um Component that, if anything, is to give kids, you know, Philadelphia, you know, we're viewed as a northeast city, but uh, I think technically it was a hopping Scale where we're, we're like the northernmost part of the humid subtropics, <laughs> like, like technically, <laughs> and you definitely know that. Yeah, you know uh, that in August. Not yeah. now when we're <laughs> sitting in a room with a space heater, um, when it's twenty five degrees outside, but like in the uh, all, you know, July August, it's generally in the nineties and, and, and humid. extremely
0: humid. You yeah. know. Um, <laughs> So anyway, the kids need to break. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So especially because one of the rotations is out in this meadow um, where you, you give the kids a bunch of nets to sweep with, and then yeah. you you go through what bugs they catch and talk about that, um, which is a fabulous element. I mean, like to yeah, have kids out there catching stuff. And then, yes, like, you know.
1: So there's only four rotations. Yeah. Uh, there's three rotations, um, but we might change them out. We might just four we do. Generally, it's three just because that's the staff available. And it's usually like twenty or so minutes, twenty minutes, a half hour each rotation, depending on the time. We basically take the time they're here, divide it by three, you know, yeah. and and with a couple minutes for change. But one is uh, decomposers, where you flip logs and and, and yep. look at things um, underneath. Another one is sweep nets in a meadow, um, looking for um, insects, um, and then the other one is generally either a bird walk with binoculars. Or an animal show-and-tell inside where we – it's is the room where we have the book of the turtles. Yeah. And, and then we also have like pelts and skulls and other animal artifacts. And, and that's good too because you can get real um, informational. You could really like talk about the the animals in depth. You could – you know, you talk about a thing – you know, you're not restricted to what um, – I mean, you could always talk about things when you're out. But you don't – you're not really restricted – to what you're encountering, you can just kind of like riff, you know, you can just show a yeah. photo, you can just talk in general and answer a lot of their questions. Cause they're not, they're not actively like trying to like catch something or look at something. Right. So it's a, a good, you know, it's, it's just kind of like the introduction, even if it's not necessarily because the rotation, it might not be the first, Um, you, you know, it's not guaranteed to be their first lesson. Right. 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 So, um, and generally like I personally don't like to greet a group of 30 to 60 students and give them all an intro. Um, because I feel like there's too many of them so I um, you know some people like to and I let them if they want to uh, but
0: especially when you have little kids you know, I give them like them there, I
1: yeah. give them a quick rundown and then split them up into uh, the three groups and then you know for, you know whoever gets the first group you know the first session every um, first session there's a little bit of an intro um, but I tend regardless of the, the indoor um, session um, and even the bird walk can start indoors we give a quick yeah. look at the animals and show we have a mural um, a very well done, um, realistic mural that, you know, we'll have like shopping carts and like sewers and things like in our, in our, in the mural. It's really accurate of the park. It is, <laughs> so yeah. we get to show. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So anyway, you know, I'm, I'm talking too much. Um, you're no, the, I, do, I do this for, this is what I do every day for my is. life. And, and Billy gets to do it for a summer. So Yeah.
0: It was a beautiful summer. And it's a, uh, um, one of the things I did and talking about the wildlife elements more um, I had a lot of fun taking some of those like, you know, like a lot of environmental centers you have your deer antlers you got some skulls you got animal pelts from various of your local wildlife so we got a fox a coyote skunk raccoon um possum i think there's a woodchuck in there and uh, no it was a muskrat and a squirrel
1: uh, you know, I've I, I might have been lying to kids forever because there's been a skull in there that I always assumed was a beaver, and then uh, I saw a tag and that said porcupine. Oh, really? But I don't know if that skull or just a random well, tag. The point
0: is, you get out there. What I would do is I go to so so uh, to continue painting a picture of the park. So what like we're saying, it's a narrow creek corridor park. Um, on one side of it, to the west is our um, are areas of our neighboring county called Delaware County, um, and on the east is philadelphia and both sides the neighborhoods are relatively dense row houses what you what some people might call townhouses kind of packed in along like right up to the road across from the park yeah
1: so the upper derby is not like you cross over and suddenly it's like like cul-de-sacs and like and and, no. and like you know like curved driveways or whatever it's it if you didn't understand that there was like the street signs are a different color like into a uh, Philadelphia <laughs> and you know that if you didn't know that you wouldn't know you left the city and right. upper Darby is not, it's a city, it's a small city. It's actually one of the, it's one of the larger cities in I, Pennsylvania. I it's fifth yeah. biggest, but it, we don't
0: think about it because we think of it as a suburb. It's kind of like yeah.
1: Compton, you know, or, or, um, or, uh, Gary, Indiana, you know, there's like these cities that are like next to, a, you know, Gary, is next to Chicago, sure. Compton's next to Los Angeles. Those are these cities that like are known internationally, probably because of Michael Jackson and all the, you know, uh, hood movies in NWA and stuff from the, from the nineties, you know, um, with Compton, like there's these like cities that aren't actually like, um, the same municipality as the larger, more famous city. But for some reason, like because a prominent actor or like forever they became prominent, like, culturally important. We know about these like smaller cities
0: with Tina Fey, people might know upper Derby.
1: That's what I was getting. To. <laughs> Tina Fey is from upper Derby. So, um, yeah. yeah. Um, and then there's been like the, the mayor of Easttown, although technically that's a little bit. I think she's technically from. I think. She, I think They that make mayor,
0: it vague. Exactly. She's where it is.
1: from Delaware County, but works in Chester County. And Delaware County is interesting. There's a. In Delaware County, because of like Silver Lang's playbook, Bradley Cooper's from. Actually, I think Bradley Cooper's from Mon- Monco, but. I think but, he is. But, yeah. um, but, uh, um. But the Lamarck
0: Diner figured prominently in that. The Silver
1: yeah. playbook, for some reason, like, um, Maybe like you know, like John Hughes movies were, were like not in Chicago, they're next to Chicago and that like whatever suburb it was or whatever. Yeah. And so I feel like for some reason, like um I mean it is a s it isn't county of a you know several million people or something. Or not maybe like a yeah. like a million people. I mean that's quite as big as Philly, but Delaware County is the second most I think the second most populous county in, in uh Pennsylvania. It's as big it's as densely populated. Um so I guess it's you know somehow it's gotten I feel like there's like, there's a show Delco Proverbs. Talk about Delaware County has gotten national recognition.
0: Well, so you might've heard of Delaware County. Um, but yeah, so the bottom line is it's, we got urbanized right up to the edges. Yeah. Um, on both sides. And then along the Philly side, um, we're in our stretch of the park, there's a multi-use path. That's pretty popular. Um, and so it's, it's, you know, that part of the park is kind of like landscaped with trees, um, along the parkway, you know, a a road that's kind of uh, that, um, you know, four lane road. Um, And then uh, I would take sort of the grab bag of mammal specimens um, up to the parkway with some of our program calendars and things like that. And I would just like put up a a, a folding table um, and lay out animal pelts on it. And so it was a fun conversation starter with people who are out there on the multi-use path. Um, using it you know, partly as a hook to get people to come to our programs, but partly just as like a way to to show people what lives in the park and interact with and sort of try to ex- expand people's experience of it. If, if it's what someone knows is that, oh, this is the place where I come out and um, I walk my dog or like, you know, I go on a run every morning before I go to work. Um, I think that people, a lot of folks just haven't thought to go down the hill into the woods. Um, and so having... Uh, you know <laughs> confronting them with a dead fox <laughs> is is one good way to start a conversation. Um but then you hear lots of fun stories. I mean this is where um you know it's one of these things where like, yeah, you, you try to teach people something, but then you also talk to them and see what they can what you, you can learn from them. Um and so I would be out there, you know, with the with the various pelts and people come by and tell me about the raccoons in their alleys or the possums that they see, um, about the white-tailed deer that um that sometimes make it out of the park and nibble on their gardens, um, and sorry, Tony. Tony was <laughs> pausing for a selfie right there, um, yeah, documenting the documenting the magic. Um, and, uh, and so it, it was just a lot of fun to 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 sort of see how um, even if we're talking about the park, I mean, to get way to the park, the wildlife of the park is not like hermetically sealed in the park. Um, you know, we've got plenty of stuff that wanders out and that people interact with. Um, we've got peregrine falcons that, um, they didn't successfully nest, but they'd give it a good try this year, um, at a church right across the street. And so we could talk about red tail hawks. We could talk about peregrine falcons, talk about, um, I don't know, all sorts of stuff. We we're doing, doing cleanup, um, on the edge of the park over there. And we heard a raven calling, you know, like, um, there, there's a lot that, um, we can, uh, we can use sort of like the 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 classroom that is the woods and the park um, to help teach people about like what are what are things that live outside of the park in the in, in spaces that we think of as more urban. So we had a, had a good time with that. Um, I don't know. We're still. We're, I, I I think we're kind of rambling, but this is just sort of our reflections on on you know we we have taken on the the podcast is almost like a an, a, a, a nature education wildlife education mission for the two of us, right? Yeah. Um, and, I mean, this is what Tony does for a living, but for me, it was like a good, a, a fun time to try out other ways of accomplishing the same kind of mission.
1: Well, first of all, yeah, like, Billy, um, we had a stream table that's no longer functioning, so. So what's a stream table? So a stream table is a, like a, a basin, like, like can hold water that's usually, like, oblong, right? Yeah. So um and you run water through it and there's usually a way to either the either the, the basin itself has a pitch to it or you can adjust the pitch and move the whole th- thing. And water comes from one end through generally sand um or other media to replicate a moving stream. Yep. Um the one we have uh was very large I mean it's about twelve feet long, fifteen feet long or something like that. And you
0: were involved with getting it installed. Yeah and it's purpose. um yeah.
1: um well, unfortunately, no plumbing in the room, so I had to recycle. Has a pump that recycles water through, you know, in a basin that the water drains to, and the problem is that the pump would get full of sand. So it was a um, a g- a good idea, but it didn't work out. So
0: and the object of it is to teach people about like about watersheds and how like right. how water running off different kinds of surfaces.
1: Yeah. And honestly, I wanted that to be in a different room, but this is just predates parks and rec. This is with a nonprofit. I want work for the nonprofit here and they wanted it there. Cause they, they wanted everything to be like a hands-on school rather than like exhibits that you observe. Sure. So, and it's, it's not really appropriate for an exhibit room anyway, because it, it requires a staff person to run the thing and like keep an eye on it. Yeah. Um, so anyway so it was full of sand and not water for years and the problem is is that sand is everywhere like we can't we used to have binoculars like in the rooms people can look at the feeders but then the kids just dumped the binoculars into the sand when you're not looking and then your binoculars are taken out of commission and sand is everywhere so we um we took the sand out which was a big process because it's you know hundreds of pounds of sand well anyway then billy had this uh great idea to turn to a touch table and then went and did it and you also laminated plant specimens. So, I mean, why don't you talk about what you did? It was, sure, it was very I, popular.
0: I think that – so a touch table, for those who haven't been in it, is like a standard kind of thing you see in a, in a nature center um, where you have uh, – we'll call them specimens. You, know, you have stuff from the park around you um, or the na- wild spaces around you that, that people can get their hands on. Um, so you're really – you don't encourage people to pick up turtles, um, but if you've got a dead turtle shell – um, you can have that in the touch table, and you don't like. And people usually can't, you know, hold birds, <laughs> but you could have like feathers and stuff like that. Um, you can have rocks that um that's that sort of reflect the local geology. You and this is the kind of stuff we did. I got um, you know, we have beavers that live uh, upstream from us in a different section of the park, but really not too far away. Um, and I grabbed some. Uh, and sawed off some half-chewed uh, beaver logs to bring in so people could see what it, what beaver sign looks like. Um, we had some deer antlers in there. You know, uh, stuff that people can get their hands on and then ideally, like, get them then set off into the park with with something in their search images and, and a way to sort of help them um, make the stuff that they might only kind of observe out there a little more concrete. You know, you might just see a um flicker you know flying around from tree to tree or hear it calling um but we can show you the feathers uh and so we did that kind of thing with a touch table it was a lot of fun um and it it was fun to then see kids uh getting into it and picking things up and asking what what it was i, I we we have like in the in the building we had a whole bunch of these of of uh microscopes and so we grabbed a couple. Um, one or two down there. We have at least one uh, dissecting microscope. Um, and I grabbed like, you know, a bunch like a feather, a bunch of like various dead bugs um, that people can now get into the, the, the dissecting scope, um, which is a lot of fun. I mean, we, we, one of the things that I was just picking stuff off the windowsills um, and these like tiny flies turned out to be these like, I guess, in, in my mind, extra tiny wasps. Um, and so you can really drill down on them and, you know, look at, look at a, a house eyeball, you know, and see like how it's weirdly hairy. I
1: was to talk to an insect person about this, an uh, entomologist. Um, I'm curious as to why flies, um, seem to top out at a size, like diptera, kind of reach a maximum size, much smaller than the maximum size of hymenoptera. You just said it. You think of these extra small wasps, right? It's because we have we think a wasp, you know, yellow jacket is tends to be more about,
0: biased to the stuff we have an easy time observing,
1: right? But a, a yellow jacket, which is like the default you know wasp in our area, or a honeybee, right, which is a wasp, right? Technically, right. Um, they're about the same size, I'd say generally, um, yeah. and and they're about as if you had a fly landed on you as big as a honeybee, y- you know, you'd be like surprised and like worried about how big a bite is going to take out of you.
0: Right? Well, but there are flies as big as honeybees, and they're you know, the various. Um, the they parasitic flies, the ones that um, what are the ones called that they lay the their larvae develop like in squ- bot, bot bot flies? But they're I think like, bot flies are trying to be smaller. But but there's there's some of the the, the squir ones that parasitize squirrels, mm. like they are well, some of them are bee mimics, <laughs> and they're in similar size. Um, but like you know, we think of like um,
1: you know, honeybees and wasps. Uh, you know, most I mean, I've seen the, in the article these big uh. You know, biting flies that are like we call them caribou flies. Yeah, and they're like you know, maybe two inches long. They're pretty big. I mean, like, and they're so slow they never. I have, a, I don't know where it is. I have a picture of a polar bear with like five of them on its face oh. that, I, that I took. Um, anyway, like um, um, in the fact, think about it. Like this is, I, I took a picture of a polar bear with like a, a you know, it's like a, I forget, you know, like a little digital camera. And, and you could see these wasps on his face because imagine how close i felt comfortable getting to a polar bear right and well, you can still see the flies yeah. with with not without a telephoto lens right yeah so like that shows you how big the flies are because i was not that close to the polar bear i was in a vehicle it was at the churchill dump but anyway um like there's nothing i don't think any flies get anywhere near as big as like you know the cicada killers and stuff like that you know
0: what so. about crane flies you counting them they're not that massive, they're just really long. They're
1: really long. Yeah, they're good. They're diptera, but they're they're uh, they're, these... they're really they're much lighter, I would think.
0: There there were these tiger bee flies we were seeing. Oof. Um that what's the genus? It starts with an X, it's like Xenox or Xenops or something like that. And it's uh it's it is a it's a dramatic looking fly. It's like dark with these like interestingly like patterned wings. And it it um parasitizes uh carpenter bee nests. Mm. So the larvae develop so a carpenter bee will um, dig a hole uh, female carpenter beaks are the ones who are the who, who do all the work and are the ones you know raising the young they, they dig a hole back into like a, a log or, or, a ra- or a beam on your house if you really if you're unlucky um, but they dig into wood and then they build little cells that they then lay an egg in, and they and they set put in like a, a pellet, you know, packed together nectar and pollen, which is where really most bees yeah. operate. Um, they seal it up and they do another cell, right, um, and have, lay another egg. And so the tiger bee flies get in there and they lay their eggs um, in one of the cells, and then their larvae develops and like eats the. How okay. don't know if they just eat the carpenter bee larvae, or just or eat the 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 p- pollen honey or pollen nectar pellet? Um, probably eat all of it. Um, and so they're like size comparable to like Carpenter B. Um And it was one of these things where they're totally harmless to people, but you get a big reaction out of a bunch of kids when a few of those fly in. Yeah. Um, all this is just to say, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I was thinking, I mean, call it after, like the beetles get even bigger. Yeah, I mean, the beetles get huge. The beetles get huge, dragonflies get huge. But uh, in any case, that's the kind of stuff we did here. And... <laughs> Um, it was in some ways it was kind of like Urban Wildlife Podcast Live um, in the sense that like you know we got to we did I did some some moth nights and some bat walks where I could sort of talk about bats in the city um, or sort of nocturnal insect diversity in the city. Um, one thing that I like we we I keep holding moth nights in Philadelphia and they really they really should be called caddisfly nights. <laughs> Um, because what we have show up, and this is true in my community garden, which is about a mile from any body of water, um, where you put up a sheet, you light it up. Maybe just, we don't have as many moths in this city, in urban areas, but like you get a few moths and you get a ton of these aquatic flies, um, stone flies, caddis flies, scorpion flies. I don't know what. No,
1: they're not dipped early, they're in their own.
0: They're their own groups. Yeah. Right. Um, they're the kind of stuff that like lives and like orders. Yes. Yeah. On orders. Thank you. Um, that have these very ephemeral adult lives, you know, they develop in the water for like months or years and then like they pop out for a few weeks or a few hours to breed.
1: Yeah, that's one and thing and then- people don't think about is, you know, a lot of animals, you know, um, the adult stage is only is a very short is a significant portion of that creature's life. Yeah. And it's literally off. It's just, just
0: when we have the cicada emergence to like drive that home. Yeah. 17 year cicadas.
1: Yeah. And it's just a, like, you know, it's basically, they only have, it makes sense for like things like a, you know, if you're living in a stream, like how do you get your DNA to another stream? Right. If you are a, a, a caterpillar is a good example. They, you know, um, they live much longer as a, uh, um, I mean, think about it like, um, um, most lepidoptera are annual creatures. They don't live more than a year. Yeah.
0: You know? And that means like moths and butterflies. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, um,
0: some of them don't even eat. I mean, like you think of the, uh, uh the, moths, which are these like, or yeah. silk moths in general, these big dramatic looking moths. They don't eat.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. A lot of, some of the adult stages of insects don't have mouth parts right? Yeah. they can't eat at all. Like, so, um, The uh, these animals, um, you know, they're just you know, caterpillar is, is they generally don't, the eggs are laid on a plant, they don't leave that plant, that individual plant, and then uh, how they can't because they can't really consume the tissue of other species or you know, or other families of plants or species of plant, um, so and they would have to like crawl down the tree risk being on the ground and hopefully climb up the, the stem of another to
0: disperse yeah you
1: know, or you know and, and especially if you're in the canopy you know how to how you know you're going to come all the way down and hopefully you're going to climb up the right species yep. of tree you to, need, a, you need a flying life phase yep. so they, they, yeah so they have these flying life phases and they're just very short so
0: in any case we wanted to give sort of a quick picture of what the heck we've been doing all summer um now that it's almost winter um and uh I think we'll I'll we'll start getting a few more episodes together. We've got an in- interesting inquiry from some folks in a city that are um, kind of fighting a political battle uh, with the, I'll say, advocates for outdoor cat colony or outdoor cat feeding that are from out of town. It's kind of an interesting look at the politics of this kind of thing. Mm. Um, I've got one cooking in the theme of like, should Billy be hunting or go hunting? For an article I'm writing, had a great interview with a local, Philly, a new Philly hunter, um, and it's a good look, a good way to to start talking about also race and equity of access to hunting, as an example of, of access to the outdoors and sort of nature experience in general.
1: I got a guy I want to talk to. Um, but talk, I mean, he said he'd do it. I got to follow. up um, I got to like set the date and stuff. Who works for Disney uh, in Orlando? And so wants to talk about, like, the urban wildlife of Disney World.
0: Oh, that'll be fun. Yeah. Okay.
1: And I, th- I I visited there, you know. Like, it's funny. I went to, um, I visited my girlfriend and I at the time. It was, like, 15, 17 years ago. visited. Um, she's from Florida, but I met her. She's from Daytona. We, we met in Orlando. And our plan was to go to, like, Joe Overstreet Landing where there's snail kites and whooping cranes and caracaras and a bunch of cool stuff. And, like, um... But we're saying, you know, in, um, Orlando, um, or Kissimmee, same difference. It's like all this, you know, and I remember we got back from this very successful trip see snail kite and stuff. And then we're just a snail kite flying around like the lake in town, <laughs> you know? And so it was just like, oh, like, um, it's just, so it's pretty, you know, Orlando is like, just like, you know, Florida is like, if you look at, if you zoom in in almost any part of Florida, um, For maybe like Gainesville South, it kind of looks like Swiss cheese. There's like yeah. there's so much water in Florida, and and as we know, as you know, we are like the urban wildlife people, right? And like water is always an interesting thing, where like it it kind of like water always brings more wildlife, you know, because the wildlife that's attracted to water is kind of tends to ignore. You always, how do I articulate? We have a lot of wildlife that can been coming back, you know, have come into the cities and it seems like more and more, more and more, like the boars and like a lot of wildlife tends, you know, has been...
0: red-tail hawks. Yeah, know.
1: things yeah. like that. Like, you know, 50 years, you know, like even like 20 years ago, there wasn't as much wildlife in cities and more you go. So I guess it took them a little while, you know, like cities as we know them now, post industrial revolution, you know, um, cities, I feel like wildlife, um, Took some time. Well, treasure wildlife took some time to, like, feel comfortable and, like... And also, I think people just used to eat them more and kill them. (laughs) Right. But, like, the thing is, is whenever there's a body of water, it's, like, the humpback whales in, like, New York City. It's, like, you're literally, like, in a city limits in New York, and a humpback whale, right? But it's the ocean, right? But it's, like, or harbor. And, like, harbor seals and sea lions and, like, bald eagles and ospreys have been in cities, you know, good because they they eat fish and just need a tree. So there's a lot of wildlife that, like... You know, you can always, always reliably encounter wildlife.
0: Yeah.
1: Like alligators have always been to cities because they're in like canals and water bodies, right? You know, so like, you know, that's the thing about Florida is like, it's inherently great for wildlife because there's so much water. There's everybody's you, you have to drain it. There's always like retention ponds and canals and things. Yeah. Or the or there's just the body of water that they weren't able to drain that you happen to be either the ocean itself or mangrove swamp or like yeah. A slough or just some ponds or springs, you know. So Florida is just like if I was to pick basically one area in the country to like like live to, to enjoy urban wildlife, you know, it would probably be Florida. Urban wildlife. Yeah.
0: Yeah, okay otherwise i wouldn't want to live in florida
1: yeah no offense florida i love cuban food
0: okay well there you i go. like
1: snorkeling so far. i like snorkeling florida's great
0: no i'm not gonna give you that sorry <laughs> i'm kind of anti-florida but we'll put that aside yeah um i'll agree right. that like you got some great aquatic related urban wildlife in florida yeah um but hey we got more of that coming up um so please don't be a stranger keep uh tuning in when we send you episodes and keep um, sending us ideas. And please keep sending us yeah, ideas. Yeah, if you send us
1: yeah. ideas, very likely we'll actually like be like, what time can you talk? And we'll record <laughs> your voice. Exactly.
0: You know? All right. Take care, guys. Thanks. Cheers.